We're going to continue our series, uh, The Gospel According to Proverbs, this summer. And um, today we're going to look at a theme in Proverbs that I think we all struggle with, but we don't want to admit, and that's pride. So as you remember, when I first started this series, I, I said that there's some things in Proverbs that sting a bit because they... Um, bring out uh, some things in my own heart, in my own life, that I don't want to admit are there. And uh, today's one of those. So I'm going to read um, a few Proverbs uh, and then a passage from 1 Peter 5 that uh, I think also helps us understand um, this idea of pride. Uh, and then we'll, we'll try to understand uh, the rest of our time, uh, what it means to uh, examine ourselves, and then also to find the grace of God in the midst of it. So... Um, Proverbs um, sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs eight thirteen says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, one's pride will bring him low. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs twenty six twelve to 16. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And then the second half of 1 Peter 5, 5 says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look today at um, this issue of pride that we struggle with, uh, may we not hold back in being honest with ourselves. May we dig deep into our hearts with the searchlight of the Scriptures to see uh, where we find ourselves putting us above you and above others. And help us to also find uh, the grace that you offer to us in the midst of this. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So my struggle with pride is usually when I talk about those people. You ever talk about those people? Those people who have addictions because they can't control themselves. Or I, driving down the road, and those people who are driving a beat-up car because they can't uh, get a, a good enough job to, to pay for a, a nicer car. Or um, those people uh, who parent their kids a certain way. You know, like those people. Um, the, or, or, or it could be like those churches, right? Those churches that do things a different way, right? I I'm, I'm, can be critical about or even those pastors, those pastors who, who don't do things the way um, I would do them. And uh, whenever I, I come across that, um, that phrase in my mind, I've tried to train myself to stop and say, you know, Fletch, you are those people. <laughs> You're exactly those people. And uh, you need God's grace and mercy uh, as much as anybody. So that's what we want to kind of try to look at today. And so we're going to look at three points. Um, the first two are not easy. Uh, we are prideful people. 
The second one is that God opposes prideful people. Ouch. God is actually in opposition to you. But thirdly, God gives grace to the humble. So let's take a look at those. First one being that we are prideful people. And let's take a quick look at some definitions um, because I think that's important for us to, to kick this off with. So our culture defines pride in a positive way. So um, they would say it's a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements and the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. So our culture thinks of pride in a positive way, but the Bible defines pride in a negative way. It's different. Pride is putting ourselves above God and others, basically. Uh, It's an antonym for humility, and it's usually used in the scriptures alongside arrogance and evil behavior. God considers this attitude insolent and intolerable. So I think it's best that we go with the biblical definition over the cultural one in order to have a biblical worldview, in order to root out the sin that entangles us, the sin that is in us. In our, because our culture doesn't worship God, it worships itself. But the Bible wants us to worship God. And the only one who is allowed to be prideful is God. Think about it. He actually is preeminent over all things. He actually is greater and more superior than anything that exists or has ever existed. So if God wants to be arrogant about himself, then that's his prerogative. Because after all, he's God. He's the one that gets to do that. So um, we think about this contrast between sort of how our culture views it and how, we, and how the scriptures view it and, and how God wants us to see um, sort of the insidiousness of pride and what it can do in, in, in bringing us down eventually, even though we're trying to build ourselves up. Now, if I could just take a, one quick time out because the one question came up both in my own study but then with some people I was talking to this week is this. Can a parent say to their kids, I'm proud of you? We use that language, right? I'm proud of you. And I would say yes, uh, as long as it's used to lift and build them up and what God is doing in their life and how God is working in their life, whether it's an achievement um, um, in athletics or in grades that God is working in their life to, um, to help them to be successful in what, in what they're called to do, right? Um, it could also be, and this is, this is where it gets sticky, right? This is where uh, we have to really begin to think about our motives. But sometimes when we say to our kids, I'm so proud of you, what we're really saying is, I'm so proud of me because I raised you in such a way that you were able to do this right? Do you see the difference there? So I don't want to knock on, you know, and say you can't say that you're proud of your kids or your spouse or whoever, um, because the, the biblical definition is when we are putting ourselves above other people and ourselves above God. So 
that's just a side note. So let's go back to what we're talking about. And, and in order for us to see if pride does actually reside in us, we can ask ourselves some diagnostic questions. Like when you go to the doctor's office and they give you that clipboard and the pen and there's all these diagnostic questions and there's a uh, checklist for you to, to look at. Things like, do you have a history of heart disease or do you exercise regularly or do you have trouble sleeping? So those kind of are going to help the doctor diagnose what might be wrong with you. So here's some diagnostic questions to see if we're prideful. So think, think about some of these. Do you take more joy in your own accomplishments or the accomplishments of others? Are you envious of others? Have you ever been deceitful? Are you confident in yourself? Do you always look out for others' interests above yourselves? Do you think about yourself more than you think about others? Do you feel you're entitled to certain things? Do you have a deep and persevering prayer life? Have you ever posted about your accomplishments on social media? I certainly have. Uh, Have you ever said to yourself, I'm so glad I am not like that person or those people? Do you look to yourself to provide dignity and self-esteem? And do you ever think you're better than others? Do you refuse help from others? Do you think you're an important person? Do you ever get upset when you don't get your way? Do you think the world would function better if you were in control? Has someone ever called you a jerk? Probably prideful if that's happened. Do you think you could have come up with better questions than I did today? Yeah, okay, right. So can we all agree that on some level there's a sense of pride in us? I think we can. And I I understand it doesn't feel good to be called out on these issues uh, and examined like this. But we really do need to take a sober look at ourselves and know that our hearts are usually more focused on ourselves than on God and other people. And that's just not the direction that in life that God wants us to go. He wants to steer us back to the direction of humility. We have to understand that pride is, anti, is an anti-God state of mind. It's an anti-God state of mind. Pride creates envy, pride is deceitful, and pride is a preoccupation with self. Okay? So there we go. We are prideful people. And it, and, and, you know, um, and it, it's when we set ourselves above God. And so when we do that, it makes sense that... God opposes the proud. So that's our second thing we want to look at. God opposes the proud. God is actually in opposition to me, to you. Proverbs 8, 13, again, let me just read it again. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, God says. God actually hates pride, and that is strong language. And so when God uses strong language like hatred towards something, we need to, to, to sort of sit up and listen to what he's saying, right? And to, to search out uh, if this is a part of, of my heart and my life. There's, there's a tiny book in the Old Testament called Obadiah. And it's only one chapter long. And it's about the judgment upon the nation of Edom 
who has set itself up and opposed the God of Israel. Okay, so this is a whole nation who has become prideful. Here are the first four verses of how um, the book of Obadiah starts. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So God is telling the the nation of Edom that you think that you're this high and you're so great and, and you're so awesome and that, that you are, you are uh, so above me. And God says, nah, you're not. And I'm going to prove to you that you're not. It's a dangerous thing to be prideful. And then Jeremiah says this about Babylon. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all that is around him. You see, God does not tolerate those who stand in opposition to him or to those who think they are superior to him. He won't tolerate it. Think about it this way. As a parent, you're not going to tolerate or allow or stand for your kids to set themselves up above you. That's not how it works. Kids are not supposed to stand themselves up and, and put themselves above their parents. Imagine this. I'm sure this has never happened. What if your toddler declares to you, Okay, Mom, Dad, I'm in charge now. And I'm going to do things my way. And you're not going to stop me. You know, you've heard the phrase that you don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, you don't negotiate with toddlers. Why? Because they will wear you out. They will wear you down. They will, they will suck every last ounce of energy out of your life. As you sit at the dinner table for an hour and a half, like I did with one of my children, I won't say whose name it was, Taylor, but for an hour and a half, you must eat your dinner. Nope, not going to do it. You have to eat your dinner. Nope, not going to do it. They will, they will outlast you, so you cannot negotiate with them. And God's not going to negotiate with us, Right? It just doesn't work that way. That's not how it is. And, and we ultimately, you guys, we should be thankful that God doesn't do that. Because God doesn't just hate pride because it's in opposition to his authority and his supremacy. But God hates pride because he knows it's not good for us. And he loves us too much to allow us to be prideful, right? Think about that for a minute. God knows 
Pride goes before destruction. Ultimately, our pride will bring us down. We will fall. Ultimately, when we set ourselves up above God and above others, it is not going to work out. One, because God is going to stand in opposition to us. And if we continue to put ourselves above other people in our lives, you're not going to have any friends left. Your marriage is not going to go so well if you think that you're the supreme ruler of all things at all times. The way you treat people at work, it's not going to go over very well if that's your attitude, if you're prideful and continually putting yourselves above other people. So, yes, God is opposed to us being prideful because it's in opposition to his authority and his supremacy, but also because he knows it's not good for us. And that is what leads us to this last point, that God gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11.2, which I didn't read earlier, but this is a new one. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. First Peter 5 5 says, clothe, again, clothe yourselves with all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is the good news. Remember, you hear this every week, gang, right? You hear Andrew and I or Jake get up and we're proclaiming to you the bad news. <laughs> but then hopefully, and I haven't been here when we haven't done this, we also proclaim the good news. Because the gospel, euangelion, the Greek word, literally means good news. But we have to understand the bad news first, right? We have to understand what is really going on inside of us, how we really are in opposition to God, how we really have chosen deep within our hearts to rebel against God, and the devastation that that brings on ourselves, both now and forever, and on those around us as we live lives that hurt other people. But the good news is that God chooses not to leave us in that state. He wants to change us. He, he wants to give us grace. So yes, God opposes you as a prideful person. But yes, God draws prideful people to himself to give them grace. Hallelujah. Thank you. Yes. Remember, grace is God's favor towards those who don't deserve it. Let's take a look at Jeremiah 31, 1 to 3, and see God's grace to the humble. Actually, God's grace to those who have been humbled and brought low. So it says this. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. In our unfaithfulness is when God comes to us with his faithfulness. The people, it says, found grace in the wilderness. 
Jeremiah is speaking to the exiled Israels here who were exiled because of what? Their prideful hearts. They had set themselves up against God and he said, fine, I'm going to let the nations ravage you and haul you off to exile. But God would even show them grace while they were in exile. And we also see that Jeremiah's language here is also hearkening back to the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. They had hardened their hearts against the Lord, and the consequence was them wandering for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. Yet, even during that time, God was gracious to them and provided for all their needs. If you go back and read those stories of the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, they were constantly um, complaining to God and wanting to go back to Israel and saying that they knew better than God and they knew what was better for them than God did. Again, putting their prideful hearts above him. They would bicker with themselves, putting themselves above each other. But through the whole time, God was gracious to them. His faithfulness never wavered because he loved them. There's this beautiful passage in Ephesians 2. Again, as I read this, I want you to see the bad news, but I want you to see the good news. Okay? I want you to hear that. Ephesians 5, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the first part of this passage, right? And it's not good news. It doesn't say some of us, but it says all of us. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and mind, And what that consequence was for us when we did that was simply this. We became children of wrath. That's not a good place to be in your relationship with God. Fortunately, the passage doesn't stop there. Because verse 4 has a big but. But God, it says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you hear that? So he, he, Paul in, in Ephesians goes through this whole litany of things that have caused us to become children of wrath and it and it, it's frightening, right? It's, it's terrifying to be faced with the wrath of God. But he says, but God, but God being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you see like just the, the passion that he's trying to, to uh, explain to us? The power of this love, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You see, God is not going to leave you to yourself because he loves you too much. He wants to bring you out of that prideful state of mind. He wants to bring you out of those things that are harmful to you. Why? Because he loves you with a great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Right? Isn't that beautiful? That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel right there. We were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because God is gracious to you. He loves you so much that he wants to offer this to you, this, this grace that, that we need so badly, this, this mercy that we need. So the question is, what do we do as prideful people who are in opposition to God? Do you just conjure up some humility on your own and hope for the best? Nope. That's not how we do it around here. We do, uh, and we, we follow the process that we talked about last week. So if you're with, with me last week, this is going to be a little bit familiar. But this is, this is somewhat of a process that I think that we can go through that will help us to understand who we really are on the inside and who God really is and what he really wants to do with us and how he wants to show his grace and mercy. So the first thing that we have to do is examine our hearts and define for ourselves where and how we've been prideful. So remember, go, maybe that's going back to those diagnostic questions. Maybe it's next time you, you, you say in your mind uh, uh, or even out loud in conversation when you're talking about those people, Right? Examine your hearts and define for yourselves, why am I saying that? Why, why am I so intent on making sure that I am better than everybody else? You've got to dig deep to figure that out. So then, once you've figured that out, we confess the specific ways in which we've set ourselves up against God and others. And then we, rep- we, we, we repent with contrite hearts having a genuine sorrow for our pride. And we turn away from that old way of living. And fourthly, we turn in faith to Jesus. That's the process. We turn in faith to Jesus, believing that his death on the cross is sufficient to cover my pride, to extinguish its fiery destruction. So we examine, we confess, we repent, we turn in faith to Jesus. And then the last thing that we get to do, and this is a privilege, that we get to engage with and work alongside the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It's beautiful that God allows us to participate in what he's doing in our lives. 
We engage with and work alongside the Holy Spirit as he patiently cuts out our pride, which hurts sometimes, and replaces it with a healthy view of God's supremacy and shows us how to love others and to look to their interests above our own. That's what we do. So we examine, we confess, we repent, we turn in faith to Jesus, and then we engage and participate with the Holy Spirit as he works in our life to cut out these sinful, uh, these sins that are, that are rampant in our life to transform us. Well, I want to close with these words from Romans 13, 11, and 12. Again, the Apostle Paul says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You're closer now, today, to death than you were yesterday. It's a sobering thought. You have to wake up from your spiritual slumber. Each day that you live, you get closer to dying, and God wants you to take advantage of every day that he keeps you alive. The day is at hand. Wake up and cast off, says, the works of darkness like pride, and put on the armor of light. God has work for you to do. And that work is to love him and to love those people around you with humility and grace. But you can't do that if you sleep your life away. These are difficult times we live in, right? Our country is in chaos. Your neighbors are addicted to porn and video games. Your friends' marriages are crashing and teenagers are so anxious that you don't even want to get out of the house. But God is calling you to action. Both in yourself, by applying the gospel to your own heart, like we talked about today, and to your friends, by helping them understand this gospel of grace. This work has eternal consequences. It's no game. Because at the end of the game, people go home, and the game's over. But when this life ends, people will spend eternity either with God or without God. People need help now, and they need to see that only with Jesus will they experience that eternity with God. Let's turn away from the deeds of darkness that reside in our heart and repent of them with genuine sorrow. Find the grace of God. Turn and believe in that. Allow God's Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out so that you can put him above everything else. So that you can love your neighbor more than you love yourself, right? And bring this gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Jesus, we can only get through life because of you. The depth of our sin is deeper than we will ever know. But the depths of your grace are far deeper than we will ever imagine. But we can experience those depths of grace. 
when we believe and when we put our hope and our trust in you, that the, if we would just let the, the floodgates of your grace cover us, we would live differently. And so I pray, Lord, that we search deeply, that we take time to understand the overwhelming flood of this good news so that it changes us, causes us to worship you with more intimacy and causes us to love other people with greater compassion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.